Bring out the talent. Bring out the talent. Bring out the talent. Welcome to Bring Out the Talent, a podcast featuring learning and development experts discussing innovative approaches and industry insights. Tune in to hear our talent help develop yours. Now here are your hosts, TTA's CEO and President Maria Melfa and Talent Manager Jocelyn Allen. Welcome, everyone. We're so excited to have you join us today. This is Maria, and I'm very excited to have my co-host, Jocelyn, join us. Oh, I'm here again, guys. You can't get rid of me. What is this? Episode five of season two already? I can't even believe it that you guys still want to keep us around. Thanks for joining. (laughs) It's good that you have your voice back, Jocelyn. I thought I was going to be a sole podcaster today. I would never do that to you. I know I am getting over a cold. Yesterday, I thought I was going to have like a Demi Moore kind of moment on the podcast, but that has passed me by and you get regular old Jocelyn. So, (laughs) Excellent. So let's get started. Um, According to Gallup, a staggering 85% of employees are not engaged or are actively disengaged at work, resulting in $7 trillion in lost productivity. Wow. But there's hopefully news. The Institute of Coaching revealed that over 70% of individuals who received coaching benefited from improved work performance, engagement, relationships, and more effective communication skills. They also reported that 86% of companies felt that they recouped the investment they made into coaching and then some. So where as leaders can we begin when it comes to providing coaching? What are the first steps that leaders can take to cultivate a coaching mindset in the workplace? We dive into that today with our special guest, Jay Caputo. Jay is a seasoned educator, trainer, certified master coach, coach, I'm sorry, I said that twice. Okay, let me do that part again. Jay is a seasoned educator, trainer, certified master coach, speaker, writer, and beloved TTA consultant. Thank you for joining us today, Jay. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm also, by the way, a husband and a father and an uncle and a friend. And to me, those are as important, often more important than the other things you just listed for me. But but thank you. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Those are very important. Love that. We're very excited to have you, Jay. As Maria said, you are a beloved TTA consultant. So again, and I feel the love. I do. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, listen, I mean, the reason why we love you so much is the success that you have brought to TTA, the insight that you bring to TTA, the change that you've brought to our customers. I mean, I like, it's one of those things I don't think we've introduced you to a customer that hasn't absolutely loved you, Jay. You're fantastic. So with nearly three decades of experience as an educator, trainer, and coach, can you tell us what led to this passion about coaching? Yeah, of course. There, there really were two significant influences for me, the first of which started way back when I really began my career. So uh, my first mentor, his name is Michael Strasner. He you know, became a really good friend over the years, but at first his influence in my life, I couldn't fully appreciate because 
you know, I was really kind of young. I was still in college, getting, you know, my, my first bachelor's degree. I did a leadership development program. He was the primary, he was a leader of the center. He was the main manager of the, of the organization at the time, at least in this location. He was also a coach. And so, you know, in this program, I received a bunch of coaching from him. Now he became more of a mentor and there, there is a difference between mentoring and coaching, which we can talk about if you like, but there certainly are important aspects of coaching in a mentoring relationship. And he, so he demonstrated for me, you know, directly uh, me, me being on the receiving end, what coaching could be that, you know, the, the significance it can have in someone's life because of, of the significance it was having in my own life. I started to realize things about myself that I was previously completely unaware of, but more importantly, I started to design conversations about myself and methods to go about creating what I wanted that I would have, would have otherwise just never considered, right? So the effects that I experienced on the receiving end of coaching were really powerful, right? And he was the, he was the, the first one. He was the main person who, he taught me some really valuable, you know, things along the way. So the, the, the significance of context, for example, the, the true meaning of responsibility, the value of style flexing, all these things were foreign concepts to me until I met Michael. And so, you know, as he mentored me and coached me along the way, I just developed in ways that were profound. And so that was a main, a powerful influence. The second one is, has been the experiences I've had with various clients. So, I, you know, I never really sought out to become a coach. It was sort of happened accidentally. I, I gravitated towards training and I, you know, I was an educator. I was, I taught high school for several years, was a basketball coach, right? This was after I sort of got started on the journey of leadership development. And then that led into youth leadership training. I've been doing that for a long time. And, and then corporate training. I've been doing corporate training for the past 22 years or so. And what would occur is people would come to me at breaks or at the end and say, hey, can you work with me <laughs> directly? And that's how my coaching practice got built. So I never really sought out to create a practice. It just organically occurred. But what I learned from clients and their feedback along the way, what they were accomplishing for themselves, the ways in which they were creating the, not just the results they wanted, but the experiences that mattered to them, the relationships that were important to them and how the coaching process influenced that made a difference for them. That, that's been a big motivator as well. So that's why I've stuck with it <laughs> all these years and it's evolved for me. Going back to what you said, where you uh, were talking about coaching and mentoring, you said we can talk about the differences between those. Let's go there. What are okay. the differences? Like, what is, and I guess maybe the misconceptions around it, the, you know, what, what, what people think mentoring is and why maybe coaching isn't necessary, vice versa. Like, talk, let's dive into that. Yeah, it, it's really not that complicated. So within a mentoring relationship, coaching does occur. But within a coaching relationship, mentoring really doesn't happen there. So, you know, the think of it like this, ask yourself, where, the, where do the solutions come from in the relationship? In a mentoring relationship, solutions come from both the mentor and the mentee, right? The person being mentored. And it, there's a premise in mentoring that the, the person who's the mentor has some experience or some expertise based on what they've created in life or produced some result that they produce or something that they just gotten good at over years of experience that the mentee wants to learn and wants to get good at. So the relationship facilitates that. And sometimes the mentor literally shows the mentee what to do, right? Like how to do something, how to, how to go on a sales call, for example, or how to communicate 
with people that are in conflict. Like they, they demonstrate it for them. So they sort of do it for them and then hand the baton over, you know, giving them, giving the mentee a chance to do it until they get good at it. And so that's valuable, obviously. And that's sometimes in a professional context between a manager and a direct reporter, individual contributor, that's what is sometimes is needed. And it doesn't have to be like the, the manager's the mentor. Sometimes it's a colleague who becomes a mentor who's been doing the job for a long time, right? In coaching, the solutions almost exclusively, almost completely come from the coachee. They don't come from the coach. The, coach, the coach's job is to ask questions based on deep listening. And so primarily what a coach does is is that their, their main, the main tools in the, in the toolbox of a coach is, is the quality of their listening and the creativity of their questions. And when you ask the right questions, the person being coached is going to come up with the answers, meaning they're going to come up with the solutions that they're looking for, the path to get to where they want to be. And the coach guides that conversation, facilitates that conversation. So that's the main difference. That makes a lot of sense. I know one of the problems that managers often face or leaders often face is they don't have the skills to actually be an effective coach. I'm sure you see that a lot with your clients. I do. So what are they missing and what type of help can you give leaders and managers in order for them to become an effective coach? Well, before I answer that question, let me ask both of you a question and to see where this goes. I think I will be able to answer the question based on your response here. So what do you think coaching is from your experience? You're a manager, right? How do you define coaching? I would define coaching as working with someone one-on-one to improve a certain behavior. And maybe that's okay. specific. So that implies that some behavior that currently exists is not optimal. Correct. Something's off. Something's not working. Correct. Or, or that it could get better. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jocelyn, do you want to offer your response? Yeah, I think mine would be similar. And I like that you said that you referenced that you were a basketball coach because I think that's where my mind first go to when we're talking about coaching mindsets is – it's leading someone to an end goal, whatever that may be through different processes, structures, information, what have you. So whatever that setting looks like to an individual and what they're trying to learn, I would describe coaching as one-on-one leading and driving, creating behaviors to get to an end goal overall. Okay. Remember before I said, one of the things that I learned from Michael was the significance of context. And this is a good example of that. So the context of athletic coaching is very different than the context of business coaching or professional coaching in a, in a business you know, relationship between a manager and an individual contributor and so on. So uh, there, even though the word is used, you know, this, we use the word coach a lot. It doesn't necessarily mean the same thing depending on the context. So you know, in the, in the context of athletic coaching, when I was a basketball coach, what my players often needed, you know, my coaches were my players. What they often needed was some instruction for me. They needed, they needed some guidance about what to do and what not to do and how to do it. And they needed my feedback a lot, right? So they needed me to tell me what I saw. 
them doing that maybe was working. And so, so they would keep doing it. And what I saw they were doing that wasn't working. They also needed motivation. They needed inspiration. They needed me to be a cheerleader for them, to be a champion for them. Like you can do it, you know, have what it takes, you know, even if they were kind of down on themselves. And there are some elements of that in a, a business coaching relationship, but it's really different in that a lot less is driven by the coach. When you're a manager of someone, when you have a leadership role and you're a manager of someone, really what part of your goal ideally is that you want to support the person you're managing and, and everybody you're managing to grow, to develop themselves, to somehow move in a direction that's aligned with their potential, which, which includes sometimes they want to elevate towards management themselves. And, and that kind of brings us to how managers tend to be created to begin with, especially in larger organization or large organizations of people who elevate into management positions do so because they proved themselves on the individual contributor level. They produced results. And the presumption is that, okay, well, if if so-and-so produced the result, they've succeeded on the IC level, then they're going to have what it takes to manage others to do the same thing. And to some extent, that is valid because they have some experience and some knowledge that they need to relay to those that they're managing. But when it comes to coaching, what they know in terms of their experience becomes less important because coaching really isn't about leading someone in a different direction or necessarily giving them a lot of feedback or guiding them or telling them what to do, giving them the answers to the questions. I mean, individual contributors go to their managers all the time with problems and say, hey, this is what's going on. What do I do? And what do managers often do? Tell them what to do or solve the problem. Yeah. (laughs) They answer the question. They give them the answer to the question. And sometimes that's the best you can do. Granted, I'm not invalidating that that's sometimes what a manager should do. What I'm saying is that often they'll do that instead of recognizing in this moment, here's an opportunity to support this person to grow. So I'm going to ask them some questions, give them a chance to raise their awareness and to generate ownership the main functions of coaching so that they walk away from this with a better sense of what they're capable of and a willingness to to take on some risk or try something in a different way that was generated from within them rather than I told them what they're supposed to do. And over time, with some persistence and some patience, managers who exhibit coaching skills find that the people that they're managing become much more self-reliant and responsible and creative, and they need a lot less from their manager. It frees up the manager to be able to focus on other things. You know, they, usually managers are also, also still individual contributors in some way. They still have things that are on their plate to get done. And a, a problem that I hear managers talk about all the time is just that the time crunch. They're just overwhelmed with <laughs> being asked to do a lot of things and take care of a lot of needs that they're their direct reports come to them with. And and so the quick solution is just to give them the answer, which is why they often do that. But the the better approach, which takes some patience and some some foresight and some persistence is to hold back on the answer and ask better questions. And that's what coaches do. That's excellent. I can see myself absolutely getting too much involved in helping with the answers. I think it's a natural thing to do, though, at the same time, which is another reason why coaching comes into play, right? You 
want to do that help. You want to answer the questions, but we're not thinking about the long term and how we could be using this more effectively. Right. Yeah. And it, but it's also the way we've been conditioned to think. It's the conditioning of our culture, right? We live mostly in a fast food <laughs> culture. We want everything right away. Exactly. And the, 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 uh, the, you know, the assumptions or expectations is that if somebody has the answer and you, you know, you ask somebody a question and they have the answer, they're going to give you the answer. And again, sometimes that is the best you can do, but that's just not what coaching is. Yes. You just want to get it done quickly, but I, I do agree with everything you said. So what you're describing an effective coach is sounds exactly like what a great psychologist is. Well, that's interesting. Cause that's, I get asked that a lot, especially in the coaching certification program that I designed several years ago. That is a bulk of what I do these days is I, I work with professionals in various capacities, various industries to develop coaching skills. Not that they necessarily want, you know, most of the people that, that are in the program, just as a side note, they don't want to quit their job and become a full-time coach. They just want to develop the skills of coaching in an excellent way and to, to fuel what they do, to, right, to enhance what they do as a professional. But what I get asked this question a lot, what's the difference between therapy and coaching? And there is a significant difference. So again, let me ask you, if, you, if there is a difference, what do you think it might be? Wow, that's, that's a good question, because I know I have gone to a therapist and what you were describing as far as my therapist would work with me to come up with my own solutions and never really answer or tell me what to do. So I guess that's what resonated with me when you were describing that role Mm -hmm. and thinking about the similarities between a psychologist and a coach. But I don't know, Jay. I'll tell you what, what I think about this, and I'm curious what you think about what I'm about to say as well from your experiences. So basically, fundamentally, you have to, do you understand the difference between coaching and therapy based on where, what the conversations generally are focused on? And right. generally in therapy, the conversations are focused on the past and working through difficulties from the past, reinterpreting the past, you know, just sort of having a sense of how to, how to deal with challenges, traumas, upsets, things that didn't go so well, events, relationships that failed, et cetera. And a therapist is really good at pulling out from a client what's maybe underneath the surface that the the client is not seeing or understanding on their own. So therapists, good therapists often give feedback, but it usually is feedback about the past, something that's already occurred, right? So there's Generally, it's more about the past and generally it's more about the stuff in the past that didn't go so well, more of the negative past. That's not all of what it is, of course. And certainly that's not the purpose of therapy. The purpose of therapy is to have a better life now moving forward to create a better life, create the life that I want. But the focus of the conversations are often about working through stuff in the past. And where coaching is different is that almost completely, I mean, not 100%, but getting pretty close to it, around 80, 85% of the time, the focus of coaching conversations is about the future and the positive future. Having a vision, having a goal, having something that I want to achieve that I haven't yet achieved and being clear about what it is that I want, why I want it and the path to get there. What might it take for me to create what I want in terms of who I'm being and what I'm doing and the, my actions, my choices, my behaviors, et cetera. 
And knowing that in, in that there's a lot of unknown, there's going to be failure that occurs along the way. So, you know, it's a process. I will get some feedback as well from people in my life when I'm being coached, but also from my coach at times, it's just not as, that's not as significant in a coaching relationship as it is in a therapeutic relationship. So I say, I think of it this way, a a really good therapist can be a really good coach. They also will coach, but a really good coach isn't a therapist. There might be therapeutic moments. You know, there there are moments in which a coachee or a client taps into an emotion or an experience and a really good coach is going to sense that or hear that, give the space to let the person have their experience, to communicate about the experience, but not work them. <laughs> like not try to, not try to, you know, change it or fix it or try to, you know, solve any kind of problem because having an emotion, there's no problem in having an emotion. It's normal to have emotions. So there are, there are moments in coaching that can seem therapeutic. It feels therapeutic. For the, for the client or the coachee, but a coach isn't a therapist. One thing I know about you and your coaching experience, Jay, is that you have a professional coaching certification training program. I totally messed that up, but it's a coaching training program <laughs> that you get a certificate from. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about that because it's, it's a really cool thing that you do. Yeah, thank you. Well, that, that also sort of happened accidentally. So it was about six, seven years ago, a client of mine in Europe contacted me and said, Hey, I want you to come out and train my staff to develop coaching skills and other people tied to my organization. And Oh, by the way, can they get certified in the process? And at that point, I knew that there were coaching certification programs out there in the world. I, I never, you know, pursued one for myself. Cause as I said, I built my coaching practice just organically being in the leadership development space as a trainer and clients would come to me and then clients would refer other people to me. But I knew that there was a, you know, there was a thing called <laughs> coaching certification. So I said, of course, to this client, and I did some research, took about a year and a half and researched just coaching certification itself. Like, what is that? And who, who are these organizations that accredit these programs where somebody goes and gets a certification? And in that process, I also designed my own program. It's called the Transformative Coaching Certification Program, TCCP, or as they, as my uh, students like to joke, it's uh, ticket. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I I use the word transformative intentionally because when I was, when I was in graduate school for conflict resolution, one of the, one of the things that I also did was I became a certified mediator in the Washington DC region. And I was trained in a particular type of mediation. There are three distinct types the newest is called the transformative approach. And the transformative approach is a bit deeper than what is historically the most common type of mediation called facilitative, in which the mediator simply is facilitating a conversation between people in in conflict and asking questions to help them come to their own solution to the situation. But the transformative does that as well as factors into the equation, the quality of the relationships between the people in conflict to begin with, like, how did they get here? Right. And if they could better understand the way that they relate to one another, maybe some of the assumptions that they make or the ways in which they communicate that aren't working, that if they were uh, conscious of this and they could do some work around that too, it would not only help this, this current conflict, but it would help their relationship moving forward. And it would, they'd be less inclined to find themselves back in this conflict again, or if they found themselves in conflict again, they'd be more equipped to, to deal with it themselves not have to go to an outside support support service like mediation. So it's that 
influenced me a lot in terms of the way I was coaching too, that, you know, I had already started intuitively including this in a lot of my coaching, but the program that I designed factors into the equation that when we train people how to coach, we're not just training them on how to support clients to achieve tangible outcomes and goals. It is that, but it's also recognizing that along the way to achieve those goals, other people are involved. Relationships are, are, are a factor, an important factor. There, there, is a, there, there are key influences regarding how a client relates to someone else that, that makes a difference in whether or not they're achieving the goal or achieving it in the right way. So that's a deeper type of coaching. And the program that is really includes that and includes certain what I call transformative distinctions that are helpful to do that well. So Jay, how does the program work? How many days is it? Is there a series of classes? Yeah, it's 122 hours in length in total. 75 hours are instruction-based. So there are pre-recorded modules that add up to about 33 hours. And the modules is where you get all the content, the what to do, how to do it. So, so a module on listening, a module on asking questions, a module on conflict resolution. I mean, everything that's related to what you, any type of coaching that you might offer someone, the modules give you the, the material the methods, right? The frameworks, the techniques, et cetera, the, the, the mindsets, the ways in which you go about doing it well. Then there are the live review sessions and, the, and a participant completes 40 hours of that. And in the live review sessions, two things occur. People come with questions based on what they learned in the modules. And so we take a deeper dive into topics based on what they want to talk about, but also people experience being coached. I coach people directly in these live sessions and others are listening and observing and learning about coaching as they're watching it happen in, you know, live and in person. And sometimes they're receiving the coaching and sometimes they jump in and take, they take on the coaching role and I'll guide them along the way or give them feedback along the way. So it's very practical because it was my experience as I developed my own practice that I really learned how to coach by doing it not by reading about it, right? Or watching somebody else talk about it. I had to be on the field. I had to really be with people. So there's, and that's why we chose the, by the way, the accreditation organization that we chose, the Certified Coaches Alliance, CCA, rather than the ICF, because it was in our view that, you know, the ICF was a little bit restrictive in terms of that, those asynchronous hours where you're just, you're practicing, you're able to, to get out there, try coaching, sort of, you know, learn what you learn and do what you do and then come back and get some feedback. So that's a key part of our program is to actually participate in it. And that some of that occurs in these live sessions. And then there are educational assignments that are required that you do on your own time. There's also the coaching practice itself. So everybody who completes our program has completed 22 hours of actual coaching and they've gotten feedback from some of that coaching from myself and others who are experienced coaches that are involved in the program. That's incredible. Are you I'm, doing that virtually now? It's all virtual. It's also, okay. it began as a cohort style. So people, there'd be a start date and an end date, but we gave that up a few years ago because we realized that people have different, you know, availability, different right. needs. And so people join whenever they want to join. And we have an LMS that we use. So they, once they register for the program, they have access to all of the material all the modules, all, you know, there's a 189 page manual that they get. There's a lot of other resources that they have access to audios and videos that are targeted and focused, but they can take anywhere from a person can take anywhere from four months 
to 12 months to complete the program. So they do it at their pace. And we found that that really works well. The other thing that's helpful about the, the way we designed it is that some people are, and as you can imagine, in the beginning phases of the program and others are towards the end. So the questions that you know somebody might bring to a, if they're starting off, the questions they're going to bring are going to be questions that somebody, you know, they learned maybe a few months ago, but they hear it again. So it's reinforcing for them. You know, it's, it, a lot of the stuff that people learn, they're not going to remember it just listening to it one time. So intentionally we design it. So there's that reinforcement factor. And then someone who's asking a question who's further along, maybe they're about to complete the program. They may ask a question that somebody new hasn't gotten to yet, but it gives them some, some precursor. It gives them some information that they can start to think about before they get to that module. So that deepens the learning. And we have found that this, this, this approach works really well. People don't have to be in the same phase to support one another in, in terms of each individual's learning and development and the reinforcement of the learning. I continue to be impressed about like with how thorough you think things out, Jay. Like you, the fact that you're thinking about, you know, the, the availability of people to sign up for this. So you extend and kind of flex the, when people can enroll and getting the job done, you incorporate all levels of people from where they've enrolled to interact with each other, to be able to kind of maybe set expectations or plan ahead. You make them be vulnerable, like all of these things that you think out, um, I just continue. I don't know why I'm surprised by it anymore, but you just, you think ahead and every piece of the puzzle is always in play. I love the guidance that you're able to provide and it's clear why you're such an amazing coach. So this program sounds amazing. Is it something that people can just go in and enroll in? So like you do this, I mean, any Joe could sign up for it or do you, is it organizationally you want people to enroll? It's probably both. Right. But yeah, there's a process to follow. What typically happens, you know, we have a website, it's called 4dcertification.com, the number four, the letter D and the word certification.com. And you can, people can learn about the program there. They can also register there, but usually people want to talk to me first. They, you know, get a sense of who I am because so much of what the, so much of the work they're going to do in the program is with me. I mean, these live sessions in particular, you know, 40 hours of live sessions, they kind of want to have an idea of, you know, who is this guy? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I often have a, we'll have it like an interview call with them anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Typically, sometimes it's groups, they're organizations that will send multiple people. And we have, we've set it up so that there are discounts for organizations. If they send multiple people, we have nonprofit organization discounts. So we're, we're, we're trying to be responsive to where the market's at, but yeah, we, 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 we have, we have learned that it does help to be flexible because people are not in the same place, especially with, with regard to just busy professionals. You know, they, obviously there's the word busy is used for a reason. So it's not like they, they can just give up everything else and dive into a program like this. They want to do it at a pace that works for them. So we've set it up to, for that to happen. Jay, do you ever have any students that actually do not do well and you do not want to give them a certification at the end? Well, I've had students that took longer than they thought they were going to take. For example, I've had some students that failed the final exam and had to re, you know, restudy it and redo it and eventually pass it. I've also had uh, students who when they submit their recordings of their coaching, something was off or something was not developed yet. So I'd work with them to develop that before they completed the program. But I've never had somebody who 
was committed to finishing the program who didn't finish. They may have just taken the, they may have, you know, may have gone down a different path than they thought it was going to go down when they started or may have taken longer than they thought it was going to take. But anybody who is truly committed to completing it is capable of completing it with the right coaching, which is what they get, you know, not ironically. (laughs) (laughs) No, plug it, plug it, plug that. I I love it. So (laughs) at the end, you just mentioned they submit a video of them coaching somebody. Yeah, they have to, part of the requirements of your, of the coaching practicum log is to submit two of the hours of the 22 hours that they deliver coaching. One of those hours has to be video. So they're usually it's on zoom or some other similar platform. So I can see them and I can see the people, the person that they're coaching and just, you know, get a good sense of how it's going and they get feedback directly from submitting that. And it doesn't have to be at the very end, but it's somewhere in the process of them towards the end, usually where they're completing everything, all of the other elements where they, where they will submit not only their log, but their recordings of coaching as well. The coolest thing I've ever heard. I love this program. Oh, it's it. so cool, Jay. It get like I'm jazzed up about it. I get excited, you know. I would like it. I, I also think it's cool for people to know what that other side of it looks like, right? You know, it's not just plugging in and getting these hours done in four months. You know, it could be taking the exam twice in a matter of twelve, and that's okay. Like the commitment will get you through that. I I love hearing that failure is an option in that. You know what I mean? And kind of getting well, back on the horse and trying to do it again. Actually, for the most part, for most people, failure is required. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a significant way people learn. Mm-hmm. They try Agreed. something, doesn't go so well, and it's not a bad thing. It's, 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 it, depending on how it's you know, looked at and, and how it's uh, discussed and you know, the way that we debrief on all the time in these live sessions, people will come and say, okay, I did this. I had a coaching session and this is what I said. I'm not so sure how that went or what else could I have said? What else could I have asked? So we will debrief uh, a lot on actual coaching that people are putting into place and they realize, okay, well, you know, if I could do it over again, this is what I would say instead, but it's not like a problem. It's not even really like a failure. It's just, there's, there's more to consider than what, what they may have initially had considered. And that's always the case. Right. I'm a firm believer that one of the biggest things that can hold an individual back or does is the fear, fear, fear of failure. It is a scary thing. And people, I think a lot of people, and I have definitely struggled with it, don't know how to be wrong. You know what I mean? Don't know how to make a mistake and then kind of lead from it. So they stay in a box because, you know, it's better to just be kind of safe than it is to attempt something and have it not go the way that they planned. I agree. I think it's mm-hmm. true for most of us in different areas of life. We're sort of oriented to think this way. It's reinforced un- unwittingly or unconsciously in a lot of aspects of the way we go about being raised when we're little, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of in- ingrained in us or embedded in our subconscious. And I, in coaching, I use the term committed non-attachment when I'm working with with coaches to develop their skills. And I so it you know, committed non-attachment, when you hear that, it might sound like a paradox, right? Right. (laughs) But it's based on the idea that as a coach, I'm always committed to my clients achieving what they want to achieve, to to reaching the results that are important to them or enhancing whatever relationship they want to enhance. So it's not just material outcomes, it's also experiential outcomes. But I'm also realizing that, I also realize that 
I, it's their life. It doesn't have to happen the way that I think it's supposed to happen. So I'm not attached to the process. I'm not even attached to the outcome that they actually achieve it. Because who am I to say that in the, the scope of their journey that they're on in their life, that failure is not supposed to be what they experience, right? So I have to have a healthy relationship with failure as a coach in order to give the space for the people I'm working with to experience some of it along their journey. And if I'm okay with it, if I don't have a problem with it, that also gives them some permission for them to redesign their relationship with their own failures and see them as opportunities, see them as lessons. As we wrap up our podcast today, what are some tips that listeners could start using to become an effective coach? One thing that I would recommend to anyone who has a leadership role or a managerial role is to consider getting rid of the word boss and replacing that word with partner, the word partner. A couple of years ago, I did a TEDx talk on a, based on a model that I designed back in graduate school, which is, is intended to uh, clarify a bit about what it takes to build the best relationships. You know, we use the word partner a lot to refer to our best relationships. We use that, we use it sparingly. And even when we use the word, sometimes we don't necessarily experience the qualities of relationship with the person we think is our partner. It's, it's my view. It's been my experience learning from my clients, especially those who have managerial roles that the best managers relate to the people that they're managing from a true sense of partnership or together. We have different responsibilities, like different things that we're accountable for, but we work synergistically and there's a high level of trust, a high level of creativity a greater capacity to deal with differences and, and have conflict. And that's, a, that's one of the factors of partnership is the relationship a person has with conflict. That's a, a key part of it. But just this idea of, you know, top dog, bottom dog, someone's better and someone's not as good, that itself is a context that doesn't forward the best outcomes or the best experiences for people. So it can be, it's a subtle thing. It might seem semantical, but I really think that it's just one of many factors that, can make a difference when, when people are willing to, to rethink that and then follow different behaviors from that. I agree. I love that too. This has been an incredibly inspirational episode and informative episode. And now we get to have a little fun. So it's time for our TTA 10 segment. Bring it on. It's the TTA <laughs> 10, 10 final questions for our guest. All right, Jay, here is another fun part of our show. We're going to take 90 seconds here to ask you 10 questions, fun questions, maybe some math questions. Who knows what I'm going to throw at you, but you're going to be ready. And if you are able to answer the 10 questions that I give you in 90 seconds, you will win a prize in the form of an outstanding shout out and sound effect from our producer, David. So why am I all of a sudden sweating? Why am I sweating? I know. A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure here. So are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, cool. Let's take it away. What is your favorite driving? Working for the weekend. What is your, oops, sorry. Which planet in our solar system is closest to the sun? Mercury. (laughs) Correct. If you could learn a brand new skill today, what would it be? A brand new skill? How to play the guitar. What are Scooby-Doo's treats called? Scooby Snacks. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Police. Sweet sweet or savory? Savory. What's your favorite color? Blue. 
What's the 10th letter of the alphabet? J. If you could rid the world of one thing, what would it be? Poverty. Who is on the $1 bill? George Washington. In The Little Mermaid, what is the name of Ariel's pet fish? Oh, God, you would ask me that question. Oh. Guppy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it emo? <laughs> no. It's not. No. Neither of those okay. answers were correct. I, I'm way Our... off. <laughs> All right. The answer was flounder, but that's okay. Well, we still oh, like you, Jay. Right. So that was our 10 questions. David, what are our results? That's okay. Jay completed the TTA 10 well below the threshold. Congratulations, Jay. Jay, you are a TTA 10 champion. You may shout this right. news from the rooftops, amaze your friends, and include it on your resume. Now that you have achieved this coveted honor, you will be respected and loved by captains of industry, heads of state, and TikTok influencers. The sun will shine brighter for you. Food will taste better. And life will have new meaning. Congratulations. You are a TTA 10 champion. Look at all of that. It was worth it. Thank you. It a go, Jay. I know. Great job, Jay. Well, no. this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for always doing such great work for us and our clients. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you for having me be a part of TTA. You guys really bring awesome clients to me. And it's a pleasure to, to be a partner with you. So I'm grateful to you as well. Thank you. If you're interested in adapting a coaching mindset with Jay Caputo, visit us at thetrainingassociates.com. We'll see you later.